say yes. So when somebody says, is anybody willing to help with, even before they finish the sentence, just raise your hand and say, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, I'll help. Say yes uh, to any uh, opportunity you have to, uh, to broaden what you're involved in beyond the role that you've been specifically assigned in your job because it, it helps you grow faster. It helps you learn more. Um, you have a lot more fun, frankly. And, you know, even if you don't know whether or not you can con- contribute, just say yes and trust uh, that, you know, through your personal resourcefulness, you'll figure it out. Good day, everybody. David Schwab here. Welcome back to Beyond High Street. Hope everyone's having a nice fall so far. Today's podcast is Mitch Barnes. He's the current CEO of Nielsen. He's been there 22 years, 11 different roles at Nielsen. Pretty interesting how he has moved east-west and also up the ladder to what he's doing now and retires actually from that role on December 31. He's a business administration major from Miami, actually a fraternity brother of mine. Mitch was destined for success at an early age. The story he shares of biking 45 miles to Montgomery, Ohio for job interviews when he was a student at Miami. How many people are biking 45 miles from Oxford as a student to go to job interviews? He gives some great tips for students and thinking about life and business from an early age, saying yes and figuring it out later, focusing on the fundamentals, appreciating life and doing what's important for you, and the wisdom you get and can learn from, from your own mistakes. We also chatter about the mentee-mentor relationship. I learned a bit from the conversation in this subject and what you can learn when you're the mentor, not just the mentee. This is pretty an interesting take. I really appreciated Mitch taking some time out of his day. I hope everyone enjoys the pod. Talk to you soon. I just had this realization last week. I was visiting one of our Nielsen locations in Jakarta, Indonesia, and getting to know some of the young people there. And it just reminded me (laughs) really clearly that the thing that I probably have cared about the most consistently and sincerely over my entire career is kind of the hopes and dreams of the people I work with, you know, whether they're like little basic or pedestrian hopes and dreams, or whether they're more inspirational or aspirational. When you get a chance to, you know, talk to somebody, young person in particular, and they share something with you, this is what I'm working on. This is how I want to change the world. And you see them get excited about it. Uh, that's the thing I've loved the most. Mm. And when you were coming out of Miami at 22, you you probably were one of those kids where I think you came out when right to P&G that at the time the CEO or chairman of P&G was probably saying the same thing about you. When do you think in your bu- when did that happen in your business career when all of a sudden you felt almost a responsibility or an effort to wanting to look out for everybody? Does that make sense? Well, it wasn't right away. Um, I I guess I should be ashamed to say it was probably a little later when I started to have some manager manager responsibility. You know, young people younger than me coming into the company, and I had the responsibility to bring them on board and train them and, you know, manage their work on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, at first that felt like a task and maybe a little bit of a status badge, but um, when you really understand what that's all about, um, that's when I think the light goes on, and well, did for me anyway, and you start to see, oh, wow, <laughs> I have an opportunity to not only be a leader of the future, but to actually create some leaders of the future in my wake, 
And, uh, you know, what an awesome responsibility that is, but also what an awesome thrill it is when you manage to, you know, to do something positive on that front. And when you're just in Indonesia, how often of uh, over the last, let's call it five years, are you in an office in outside of New York City and home or you're on the road in different parts of the world visiting clients or colleagues and, and meeting young employees? Well, I've been traveling about half the time on average over the last several years. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and that time's a mix of being with clients, um, being at different Nielsen offices. We're in 106 countries around the world. I haven't gotten to all of them, but I do get to a lot of them. And, um, you know, it's a big part of what I do is spend time with our different teams in different locations in the U.S., outside the U.S., make sure that they are connected to the mission and purpose of the company. They know what our key strategic priorities are. They, they know how to connect their particular roles, what they're doing locally, to that global mission and purpose of the company. Uh, if I get that right, and if I get the selection of the leaders right in the business, a lot of other things take care of themselves. So, I, yeah, I put a lot of time and effort into that. All right, so half the time, several years, 106 countries, at least where you guys have offices. Give me some of those Road Warrior travel tips. You got to have, what, what's the secret sauce that you're, you're packing on each trip or you're doing on each trip to make, to make that trip easier for you? Um, well, from a packing perspective, <laughs> I don't need to know I, your I, actual things are packing. No, but... <laughs> I have packophobia. I'm terrible at that. Yeah, I need all the help I can get there. But the the traveling part is uh, just being, for me, being very disciplined. Um, and I learned this the hard way. First, not being disciplined. I had a, about an eight month period where my family was still living in Chicago, and I was working in Shanghai, and I was going back and forth every two weeks. I started off that period, you know, it was just, it was grinding me down to, you know, powder as a human being. And then, uh, you know, eventually through that learned um, that really just being disciplined about what I eat, what I drink, water in particular, and um, and then sleeping at every single opportunity you get. You know, don't miss an opportunity to, to have some sleep. You got to be constantly filling your, your tank of energy just as life drains it from you. And and uh, you know, being disciplined is, you know, in a nutshell, what it was all about for me. What, what about work on planes? I, everyone I talk to has a different opinion. Some say I take advantage of it because I can get ahead of the next guy by doing it. And others say I try to avoid my, call it nine to five work, and I try to read and learn about a subject that I don't know. What's your philosophy on that? Well, uh, having long flights from Chicago to Shanghai, you can do pretty much everything. <laughs> you, know, you, can, you can watch a movie, you can do your day-to-day work, you can do some of your long-term thinking, um, all of it. But I, I agree with the sentiment of uh, it's a great time for long-term work, the kind that you're not interrupted. Um, you know, because uh, if, especially if you're working on day-to-day work, a lot of times that involves confidential information. And you got people sitting to the left and the right of you, not such a great idea. But, you know, thinking about the long term, reading some of the, you know, basic information, you need to understand trends and think about where your business or your particular team needs to be three, five, ten years out into the future. I think that's perfect for an airplane. Hmm. And so let, let's go back a few years. We'll jog the memory. So we're talking about now 30 years of business life. Go back to when you're at Miami and kind of why Miami? Were you, did you live nearby? Were you a Cincinnati, Cleveland guy just going down the road? 
I grew up in Cincinnati, and so yeah, Miami was the best school for me um, of the ones close by, and I was pretty committed to staying close by just because of some responsibilities I had to my family. Mm. And, and walking on campus, and maybe you had visited because you were only 45 minutes or so away prior to, but what do you remember about that freshman year on campus? Uh, class, friends, high street, what, what, what brings you back when you close your eyes for a second? <laughs> well, I had three of my closest friends from high school. I went to Sycamore High School in Cincinnati, and three of my closest friends from high school also came to Miami, and we were all right in the same dorm, three north in Anderson Hall, and uh, our rooms were right across the hall from each other, so it was really easy from that standpoint. You know, I had built-in friends and connections, and, um, and you know, it just sort of went straight from there. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, I was right there with you. I was in one north, so we were pretty close. And then so four years at school doing what most college kids did. You you went to class, you learned, you joined a fraternity, you had fun. When did you know that Procter & Gamble or CPG or when did you know or what the first job would be or what you wanted to do? Well, first, I'm ashamed to say I wasn't always going to class, but uh, somehow I managed to get by. Um, I was a finance major in my last two years of school. I was really focused on going into commercial banking and um, had job offers to do that and was ready to select one of them. And then kind of at the last minute, I got an opportunity to go interview with P&G. And so I did. In fact, I had to ride my bike from campus down to Cincinnati to my family's house and then, you know, get a, a ride down to P&G downtown Cincinnati from there. That was kind of an unusual. Wait, hang on, hang on. I'm going to, we got to, we got to pause there for a second. You, you were biking from Oxford to Cincinnati or biking from your home in Cincinnati to P&G? No, I, I was biking from Oxford to my family's home in Montgomery um, in order to get to downtown Cincinnati for wow. the interview. So it, I just, it just seemed like the, the most efficient way to do it. I didn't have a ride any other yeah. way just because of the short notice. So I rode the 45 or so miles, and, and then, um, yeah, the next day, then I went down for the interview at P&G and uh, had the full day of interviews there and, and then came back and went back to campus, found out the next day that they wanted to offer me a job and, and uh, totally off plan. I was not planning to go to P&G or was not planning to start in market research, but they offered me that job and I took it. Yeah, why? And I took it because yeah. Yeah, P&G is a great brand name and I figured uh, I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life, but geez, I know that um, you know having P&G in my experience base is never going to be a bad thing for me. And it hasn't been by the way, in my life. And uh, plus the, the starting salary was higher. So <laughs> truth be told, it was a combination of all those things. And it was a great place to start my career. Yeah. And I, and obviously local in Cincinnati were the commercial banking ones in Cincy too, or are they sending you to New York or elsewhere? One was in Cincinnati, one was in Louisville, um, one was in, I believe, uh, Pittsburgh. Hmm. And, and during the four years of school, what were you doing in the summers? Were you working to make some money? Did you have internships or what kept your just... I yeah. Yeah, I was working um, at the Montgomery Inn in, <laughs> in Cincinnati, you know, the famous rich restaurant there. And, I, you know, I was a combination of a busboy, uh, sometimes I worked in the kitchen as a dishwasher, sometimes I would fill in for the salad, uh, the salad uh, bar kind of person. I just did whatever they wanted me to do there and worked a lot of hours. It was a great place to, to be, though, because it was such a, 
you know, well-run operation. You learn a lot about customer service, hard work, being part of a team. Um, yeah, it was, it was a terrific job in high school and while I was in college in the summertime as well. That is a great restaurant for sure. So you're, you're now 21, you're 22, you have left Miami and the fraternity house and everything that is positive about Miami, you go to P&G and spend a decade there. Um, it's, a, it's a training ground for a lot of Miamians. Um, most stay in CPG from there, though. You, you jumped, and it, it sounded, and you said it from the beginning, you started in market research. So the research aspect is the place where you kept going in your career versus the CPG, more discipline than industry, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I was in the market research department, and uh, I liked the work a lot, but it never really had the sense of, you know, I have an opportunity to run a business. And so I thought, well, how do I combine my interest in having a chance to run a business and, and yet still working in this area that I had, you know, spent 10, 12 years training in? And that, that uh, prompted me to leave the company, join a market research company, which was still in Cincinnati, a small company at the time called Basie's. And um, that was a great place to, to go next. And I was, was there just one year when that, that small company, Basie's, was bought by Nielsen. And that's how I came into the, to the Nielsen Corporation, hmm. 1998. And so the path of 1998, small company in Cincinnati gets acquired to 20 years later as CEO. When you, go back 20 years to that. Are you... What did you want to do at Nielsen? What were the aspirations of growing your job or business, or where did you see the big company then? Well, I was really just focused on uh, doing work that I really enjoyed with a team of people I really respected and, and you know, thought that I could make a contribution. I thought it, it took advantage of some of the things that I did best. And uh, that was that work I did in that, in that Basie's business that Nielsen then owned. And I was just focused on that. I had gotten some advice earlier in my career that um, from a mentor who said, you know, you know, there's two ways to think about your career. One is you can set a goal and then organize everything you do to go achieve that goal. Um, that's sort of the, you know, the extrinsic approach to life. And then there's the other approach where you can say, hey, I'm going to focus on the fundamentals. I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure I'm doing work that I like with people I respect in a role that, you know, I feel like I, I have value to add. I can make a big contribution. I'm going to stay true to my values. And I'm going to let the world know that I'm available for new ideas. And then just let, let life take its course. Now, those are two ways to think about it, sort of the extrinsically driven versus the intrinsically driven approach. And he was a big advocate for the second approach, you know, the intrinsically driven approach. Get the fundamentals right. Trust that that will take you to places that maybe you couldn't even imagine for yourself. And so I started following that course, thinking about my career early on. And that's really what led me to go uh, to, you know, down the path that I did to Basie's and, and then led to all the future roles I had throughout my career. I wasn't really trying to get anywhere. I was just trying to stay true to what I thought was important in terms of the fundamentals of the work that I did. And, um, well, you know, I'll say it worked out pretty well. I, I've, I had opportunities to do things and, and ended up in roles that I don't think I ever would have imagined for myself. You know, I just never really had that kind of aspiration. And, and um, I'm just eternally grateful to this uh, mentor that I had. His name was Jim Lothrop. He just passed away this past mm. May. In fact, I'm 
on uh, middle of May. Um, but he's certainly one of the most influential people in my life, and this is just one of the ways that he influenced me in a, in a huge way. Yeah, I'm going to stay on that for a second, just mentorship, because I think just your your opening comments about the hopes and dreams, uh, that, that same type of thinking, it, you, you had the same passion in your voice then to just the last 60 seconds talking about your mentor, so you being on the younger side of that. Just stay with me there just on the value of mentorship and, and how you find a mentor and how you take advantage of a mentor-mentee relationship. Well, I think there are different ways it happens. You know, sometimes companies even have formal programs where they assign mentors and mentees to work together. And I've seen that work. In fact, sometimes that works for people that maybe are too shy or don't have the confidence to go find a mentor for themselves. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm supportive of that approach. And then I also know that there's another approach that says, no, you shouldn't be a matchmaker. You know, you shouldn't force these kind of relationships. These things are best when they happen organically. And I think that's probably true. If they happen, um, then they're best if they happen organically. So, for me, it's always been more the organic style where, you know, just somebody who I, you know, through the sheer luck of life, um, you know, they cross my path. Um, you know, there's a connection. Um, and, uh, you know, you start asking questions or they start offering some input or some advice. And it, the relationship just sort of, sort of builds from there. And, uh, you know, usually there's got to be some shared interest or some common denominator. There certainly has to be a level of trust between the mentor and the men mentee. And then it's something where, you know, if, um, if you're putting effort into it and you're, you're investing into it, you're going to get a lot out of it. And I found that's true on both sides of the equation. When I'm the mentee, if I make the effort to reach out, make the regular contact, the mentor is going to pay that back. And, and also when I've been a mentor, uh, the mentee, I hope, got something out of it. But I can tell you, every every good mentor-mentee relationship I've been a part of, where I'm the mentor to maybe a younger person, I think I get more out of it mm -hmm. <laughs> than the other person <laughs> does, just because I'm reminded mm -hmm. of you know the things that fire people up, and and you know sometimes you know you get a little bit deeper in your career, and and you forget about some of the basics, and the basics are still true. And I can be reminded of them in a really productive way, even for my, myself, you know, when I'm investing in somebody as they're trying to find them out for the first time. I think it's, it's a great comment. I just, as we're talking or you're talking, I wrote it down too. just the, the value of that relationship is not one-sided, uh, that both sides can learn. And, and as you said, even sometimes the, the mentor gains more than the mentee gets out of it. Yeah. It's one of those surprising things that just, keeps proving itself to be true for me. And we, when we talked even before we started, and you had shared that a few years ago you were back most recently on campus and, and talking at the Farmer Business School, and, and that's a bit of that mentor-mentee uh, relationships and, and talking to kids. What, what do you tell the 18-year-old or the 21-year-old who's going to be working for the next 20, 30, 40 years about finding the first job or life lessons or things that you wish you did differently or wish it or that you're now even can confirm that you did it right. What, what are some of those tips that you share with those kids, students? 
Well, some is just a reflection of what I learned through my career. You know, this intrinsic approach versus the extrinsically driven approach. You know, focus on the fundamentals. You know, make sure you're in touch with what's important to you. Um, and then let that drive your selection of your first job. So I'm a big believer in that approach to life as opposed to, you know, where do I want to be in five years kind of thing. Um, second thing that I almost always mention to somebody when, you know, we're, we're talking about this topic is, is just the idea of, especially early in your career, say yes. So when somebody says, is anybody willing to help with, even before they finish the sentence, just raise your hand and say, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, I'll help say yes uh, to any uh, opportunity you have to, uh, to broaden what you're involved in beyond the role that you've been specifically assigned in your job because it, it helps you grow faster, it helps you learn more, um, you have a lot more fun, frankly. And, you know, even if you don't know whether or not you can con- contribute, just say yes and trust the, that, you know, through your personal resourcefulness, you'll figure it out. I've, I've had so much fun in my career by saying yes to things before I knew for sure that I could actually do it. Uh, because that's how, you, you know, you, when you go out, we have to go figure it out. You learn a lot and, you, you know, you, you find other people who can help you and uh, it's just a lot of fun. It doesn't always work out, by the way, but more often than not, it does. And uh, I just like that approach to life. So I'm a big believer in that as well. Uh, those are two things. Yeah, no, I think the the figuring it out and learning through saying yes is is critical. So what's what's next for you? Well, what's next for me? I I have as uh, I describe my approach to my career. You know, I I've just sort of followed where life has taken me, and so every role I've had at Nielsen, I'm in my eleventh role at Nielsen in my huh. twenty two years there. Every role I've had was sort of given to me by you know whoever my boss was at that time. And I've just said, sure, I'll do that. You know, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do that. But I never really had an opportunity in my adult life to just kind of take a step back and say, okay, um, what do I want to do now? You know, and construct my portfolio of activities for this next stage of my uh, life and my career. And that's the way I'm I'm approaching it now. I'm going to be at Nielsen until the end of the year. And then sometime in 2019, you know, I'll start to engage on the activities that, that I'll be focused on, you know, for the coming years. I'm a, I'm a big believer in this idea that I'm 55 now. My wife and I decided when we were 50 that the period of life between when you're age 50 and age 70 should be, should be the most productive time of your life. I think that's true. Why? Because, you know, you've, through, the, um, through your life up to this stage, you've learned a lot of stuff. You've gained some experience, hopefully some wisdom, wisdom usually resulting from mistakes you've made. I've made plenty of mistakes, so I've got a little bit of wisdom. And I still have my health. I still have my energy. I'm not looking to slow down. This is a time when I can really make a lot of what I've learned up to this stage in my life pay off in the biggest way. I'm not talking about making the most money, but really making the biggest contribution. And so that's really what my focus right now is is uh, trying to find the right portfolio of activities, responsibilities to uh, make this the most productive period of my life until, you know, this next 10 to 15 years, let's say. So that's what I'm in the early stages of uh, thinking my way through and, and constructing. And I'll tell you, it's, it's actually really exciting. It's a lot of fun. You know, so on the one hand, I'm, I'm going to be really sorry to be stepping away from this company I love, Nielsen. It's been such a big, important part of my life for so long. But 
On the other hand, um, I'm really excited about what I'm going to be doing next, even if I don't know exactly what it is yet. Thank you, Mitch. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Beyond High Street. That was a great conversation. How about running a business that has offices in 106 countries? I like listening to what Mitch says and how he uses his time on all those flights almost on a weekly basis and how he's going to think about what to do next and stepping back and figuring out what he wants to do and constructing a portfolio that's beneficial for him personally and professionally too. Mitch, thank you guys for taking the time. Thank you guys for listening. I'll see everyone for your beard skippers. And we should all honor Mitch and go to Montgomery Inn and grab some ribs too. Take care.